And we're talking about spiritual uh, gifts. <coughs> I think this is pretty fascinating how one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is we're baptized into the body of Christ, but we're also um, given a spiritual superpower to serve the body of Christ. And so everybody who is a, who is a believer has a spiritual gift. Now, we're going to go over spiritual gifts, and I'm, I'm going to give the contention that not all of these are for today. Some of them have a very specific purpose. And one category I want to kind of give to you is, um, you know, the idea of, of mystery. And then I'm going to kind of give a parallel view prophecy. So when we look at, let's say, um, what we know about Christ, a lot of what we know about Christ is because of Old Testament prophecies, Old Testament teaching, stuff that's kind of baked into uh, the law and the scriptures that are available to the Hebrews at that time. You've got another category called mystery. The mystery is a, a truth about Christ that you can never find in the Old Testament. It was hidden and then uniquely revealed by Christ or by the Holy Spirit in the future. And so, as we talk about a lot of these gifts, a lot of them that are anchored to mystery basically means they're producing new, new revelation to the church at that time. Okay? So, just kind of setting up the categories as we talk about some of these things. So, a couple of the spiritual gifts that we're going to start off with are word of wisdom and word of knowledge. Um, both of these... Uh, have a connection with mystery, where if you speak mysteries, there's something about these gifts that are, are rooted in revealing new truths about Christ. Um, some will contend that wisdom is knowing how to apply that new truth about Christ. Knowledge might be, what is that new truth about Christ? Um, but and, and this will be my, my contention here, okay? Uh, I'm going to prove this more a little bit later on, but you know, prophecy... <coughs> as far as the dispensing of new revelation, is something that ends with the close of the canon. Okay? So when you have a spiritual gift that is tied into this element here, uh, I would say that that's not something that should be normative today. Okay? And I'm going to prove that later. Okay? So hold on for some of you who might have some disagreements about that. Um, I think I'm going to try to prove it later. And then, but for the meantime, if it's kind of related to prophecy, we shouldn't expect it today. But that said, I mean, why would it be important to, let's say, have a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge? Why was, why was understanding some of these new truths about Christ so important? Like, one of the new truths about Christ would be, let's say, the church, right? That Jews and Gentiles, like, Gentiles don't have to become Jews to become part of the community of faith. Does that make sense? They didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to eat kosher, right? All of that was actually new information that was given to them. Um, why would it be important to get, well, let me figure out how I worded this. I mean, why would, let's say, the word of wisdom and word of knowledge be so important to the early church as they're kind of making all of these transitions to kind of a new faith community that's, that's different from what you read about in the Old Testament where there's kind of a the nation of Israel that was mediating God's promises to the world. You're trying to figure out a bunch of different communities and cultures and ethnicities, uh -huh. all of whom have a long, long history of their own patterns and their own mm -hmm. beliefs. And they're now united, but they're trying to figure out what exactly unites them. Mm -hmm. So if you're united by something, but you're not sure what that is, be a bit difficult. So yeah. understanding what was actually being communicated to them, what they were actually worshiping, what mm -hmm. they actually believed as a community rather than yeah. in their individual spheres was essential to the new church. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, Malachi. Um, like, have you ever noticed that all Muslims kind of have the same culture? Same dress. I mean, you're taught to speak in Arabic, you know, listen to it in Arabic. Uh, it's really... The goal is not to have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? The goal is to have one tribe, right? It's very Arab in its nature. With um, 
the church, right, it is interesting how tongues is speech was foreign languages, right? It was all given in the context of taking the gospel to all nations. And one thing about Christianity, as Malachi said, is there's like a core of beliefs, but it doesn't eradicate tribal identity, right? You have different tribes and different languages in heaven. Uh, not all tribal practices are good, right? I mean, child sacrifice, you know, that would be bad, right? Um, but some of the distinctives are just you know beautiful expressions of diversity. So you can see how the gift of knowledge and wisdom would help you discern, you know, how to apply that and what is needs to be true, what what doesn't. Um, then you have faith. Uh, this is C. Not to be confused with saving faith. This suggests supernatural conviction that God will move and operate in a specific way. For instance, God revealed to Paul in the midst of the, the severe Mediterranean storm that God would spare every man on board. Through the gift of faith, he was able to say in Acts 27, 25, therefore keep up your courage, man, I believe God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Okay, so again, this one is anchored to the prophecy that he received. Okay, that the Lord would, would work. Then you have gifts of healing. Uh, this refers to supernatural ability to heal people's physical bodies. A gift implies that the person who heals possesses the gift as opposed to the one being healed. Um, and then I'm going to bring up affecting of miracles. Although healings can fit here as a subcategory, this refers to the ability to perform miracles, supernatural works of God. Examples include turning water into wine and walking on water. So. One thing I want to kind of clarify here is that there's a difference between the gift of healing and actual healings. Okay, so as I kind of mentioned, uh, I don't think that the the gifts are for today, but um, it is possible for there to be a real healing and a real miracle. <coughs> Does that make sense? So you can pray for cancer to be healed. I think I think there that can happen. Somebody with the gift of healing is somebody who has the ability to actually go around and exercise the spiritual gift when they pray for somebody, they kind of use faith, that person is healed consistently. Uh, that would be my understanding of the gift of healing or the gift of miracles. And <clears throat> again, we'll talk more about why that's kind of associated uh, with it. Like, you know, Jesus was testified, right, by the miracles and the healings all were divine signs that he is sent of God, and so there's kind of a continuity, especially with that first generation of apostles for that to continue. Uh, prophesy, a prophecy, uh, this speaks of speaking forth from God, whether a future prophecy, uh, a present insight, confirmation activity, or the like. We'll discuss more later on in the study, but suffice to say this is Paul's preferred gift, one which attempts to lived up over time. So somebody prophesies basically speaks direct revelation from God in some form. Often uh, the test of a prophet is whether or not they can tell, the, you know, foretell the future and if it comes true. Right? That was a way of kind of verifying it. Just like to get the healing would be if somebody has actually healed. And then tongues, or I guess distinguishing spirits that speaks of the ability to discern the origin of the inspired utterances. So somebody speaking on behalf of the Lord or on behalf of, of God. Uh, one example uh, would be, um, boy, in the Old Testament, I forgot which king, maybe you can help me out, Joshua, the one where God sent, you know, there was a deceiving spirit who empowered a prophet who said, go up and, you know, win this battle, but the other one said no. Both of them were speaking of the spirit, but one was speaking from a deceitful spirit, the other one from uh, the Holy Spirit. So it's possible for somebody to have like a supernatural utterance but not be speaking from the Holy Spirit. Somebody with a distinguishing of spirits, that spiritual gift can tell which one is what. Then you have tongues, and this speaks of the ability to speak in languages never acquired by natural means. Uh, this gift is, uh, this gift arrested the attention of many pilgrims in Jerusalem and was sought out by the Corinthians. More will be mentioned about this gift later on in this study. Okay, so those would be what I call the, the sign gifts. And I'll explain some of my theology about that later on. But I think what, what you see with these sign gifts 
is that they are very, they're supernatural in origin. All, all of these are supernatural, but some of them would be some miracles, whether speaking a language that you'd never learned before, the ability to heal somebody, um, <clears throat> to do some sort of miracle, uh, to do some sort of sign that shows a continuity between your ministry and Jesus's ministry. You're able to do what Jesus did to continue that on. And I think that was a very valuable uh, ministry later on, but I think there are some indications that kind of let us know that those times have waned. So let's talk about some of the, um, the gifts that we can expect for today. These are ones that I would say are the non-sign gifts. Um, Everyone in this room, <clears throat> if you are a believer, uh, you would have one of these gifts. The first one would be <clears throat> teaching. Uh, this is the ability to grasp, arrange, and present revealed truth effectively so that the recipients can have enhanced understanding of scripture. So this would be like a good seminary professor, a good um, Sunday school teacher, even a good Bible teacher. Like when they teach, you understand Christian truth better than you did before. Then you have um, pastor teaching. This is a combination of the gift of teaching with an element of shepherdly concern. These Christians can effectively minister the gift of teaching in a sensitive situation to comfort, encourage, and admonish the flock. And so this is the person you want to listen to at a time. Does that make sense? Like they're able to, to lead as they teach and use their teaching and leadership to kind of help guide and direct the congregation. I would say this is probably my gift more than uh, the teaching part. Then you have evangelism. This gift consists of an unusual ability to persuade lost people to place their trust in Christ and hence directs attention primarily towards the will of the person receiving the benefit. So these are the, these are the people who just kind of have that instinct and that insight to get into gospel conversations, share the gospel, and while we're all called to do it, you know, some people are just a little bit more skilled at it than others, and that's where the gift of evangelism comes into play. Then you have exhortation. This speaks of, this is a speaking gift where, the, where persuasion looms the largest. It is geared towards the will of the believer, just as the gift of evangelism is geared towards the will of the unbeliever. The persuasion may come in inducing someone to make the correct moral choice or persuading the suffering to find hope in the Lord. So a lot of the counselors are pretty good at this part, trying to get you to do the right thing, to make the right choice, to be motivated, to keep believing, keep trusting. Then you have to get the this. This refers to different kinds of physical health or relief administered wherever a need exists. Uh, giving. This is the ability to invest material resources and spiritual undertakings so as to reap maximum spiritual benefit. Mercy, the gift directs itself in particular to those experiencing some kind of distress, misery, pain, anxiety, or something of that sort. The gift consists of a special skill in relieving that distress, misery, etc. The right actions and or right words at times of that kind of emergency can effectively relieve a crisis through which a victim is passing. And then you have the gift of governing. This gift consists of a special skill in administrative direction that enables the gifted one to steer the flock of God into channels of most effective service. It has to do with matters of external organization and calls upon resources of shrewd and wise direction as in piloting a ship that harnesses the maximum potential of the local body of believers. So I've used this before in our, our membership class, but I think it kind of bears repeating. Um, you know, your, your spiritual gift is often your inclination uh, when your, your love button is pushed, right? If, if some tragedy happens, let's say there's a, a car accident and a young father dies leaving <coughs> a widowed mother with her four children, right? You know, somebody with the gift of teaching, they think, you know what, I know she's going to have questions someday about why did this happen? How could a good God let this happen? Um, yeah, I, I like to be her, be, I like to explain, you know, how that can happen when the time's appropriate, right? You, you want to teach. 
somebody with pastor teaching um, would want to maybe specifically encourage her from, you, you read some psalm and like, this is perfect for this situation. You know, I can't wait to maybe share this with her and just kind of show her how this can really minister to her during this time. Somebody with the gift of evangelism is hoping that a, not a, a lot of unbelievers are showing up at the funeral or they're thinking that, well, if this person's not a believer, maybe this is a chance to um, share the gospel. Uh, somebody with the gift of exhortation, you know, they want to, you know, like meet with them and just talk about, you need to keep on trusting the Lord. He's got a plan for you. Don't give up. And kind of pushing in, in that way. Uh, somebody with the gift of service, um, you think about what can I do? You know what? I'm going to watch the kids so that she can have a night out. Uh, I'm going to bring a casserole. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and mow the lawn. Um, somebody with the gift giving, you think I need to pay, you know, what expenses need to be paid for? Um, you know, let's pay for the funeral. Let's pay for the kids to go to a private Christian school. Um, somebody with the gift of mercy, you know, you just want to be with them, weep with them, cry with them, and kind of bring them comfort in that way. Somebody with the gift of governing uh, looks at all these people who want to mow the lawn and says, let's come up with a schedule. Or look at all the people bringing casseroles. Okay, let's not overwhelm them. Let's kind of stretch it out. And so they kind of come up with a plan. Does that make sense? So that's how all those things kind of work together. So maybe I'll just pull people. Um, how many of you think you might have the gift of teaching? All right. All right. How about pastor teaching? Yeah. That one. Is that geared toward men only? No, I think teaching? women can do it too. I mean, it's just your your teacher who likes to lead as you teach. Pastor teaching, teaching. Pastor teaching. I think it's the type of. I think it's a type of. It's a type of teaching. It's kind of a fusion of leadership and teaching at the same time. She can still have the correct audience. As long as you have the correct audience, it would so be. Like Beth, you might. Yeah, she might be in that category. You know, somebody who leads through teaching. Does that make sense? Whereas somebody who teaches, they they just teach. So you can have like a teacher with no social skills. Right, but a pastor teacher just has a better sense of how to lead the congregation. So when you hear about pastors casting vision and stuff like that, that's usually a reflection of this gift. Um, how about evangelism? Who would say they're evangelists? Okay. How about exhortation? Okay. Yeah. How about uh, service? Okay. The worker bees, right? That's great. How about giving? Maybe we'll see. Right. Maybe. Okay. How about mercy? Okay. How about governing? Like, or you love to organize people? Yeah, and you know, and so I would say some of these teaching gifts um, you may not know right now until given more opportunities, and you might you might grow into it. Um, but why is it important to remember that ever that you have a spiritual gift? Why does the Lord teach us so much about this topic? Because we're all one body, and so for it to function and work properly, all of those gifts are needed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's just to remember that, that like, we're one body and we have to mm -hmm. work together. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, without without that truth, it, it's more tempting for a person to not see how, how they're needed in the body and mm -hmm. how their purpose in the body is not just what they, how they can become more like Christ, self-focused, but how they can serve mm -hmm. uh, and, and Mm -hmm. minister to other people and become like Christ in that way and so mm -hmm. knowing that okay God gave me a specific gift for this body to yep. minister and serve to people that are in this body mm -hmm. helps us to really see how valuable the body of Christ is and how we're not just uh, believers on our, on our own island but mm -hmm. members of a, mm -hmm. of a body and that we are all needed and God gave you a specific gift for a specific reason mm -hmm. So what's more? Go ahead. All parts are important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The feet are as important as the hands, mm -hmm. and some are more 
um, presentable than others. Mm -hmm. And I think just understanding that every yeah. single one of them is important. It's important to the function of a human body. Mm -hmm. And it's just as important in the function of a of the church body. Yeah, for sure. That we understand that they're all important. None of them are yeah. more important than the others. Yeah. <coughs> what if I'm trying but feel really mediocre at all of them? Okay. Well, I would say this. What, what's more important, using your, using, you know, serving people or discovering your spiritual gift? Serving. Yeah, you serve people. So, you're on an airplane, the engine's on fire, and the person next to you says, I'm, I'm going to die. I don't know if I'm right with the Lord. You can't just say, Sorry, honey, I don't have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, so we're, we're supposed to use all of all of these, you know, are important. But some, you know, part of it is just kind of direct you to where you're the most fruitful. Does that make sense? So you might like think you have the gift of teaching, and as you're you're teaching, half the class falls asleep. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with just saying, okay, you know, apparently that's not what I'm supposed to do. Right, so I think there's kind of a trial and an error, and and some some of these gifts are more slow developing. Like, a new believer should not be a teacher, but usually it comes up with natural curiosity. They really like to read. They have a lot of they're asking the right questions, thinking through things the right way. Uh, there might be maybe a little bit of a background in teaching or speech or something like that where they kind of have a natural knack for communication. Do you know what I'm saying? And all those things kind of build over time. And then, you know, they start teaching six-year-olds, then junior hires, and kind of work their way way up. Does that make sense? Um, but some people with, let's say, the gift of mercy, I mean, it's just, you just naturally hurt for other people. And when people are... You know, people almost seek you out when they're in pain. You know, some sometimes that happens. Um, sometimes you just have like a, a natural knack for organizing and kind of seeing how you can kind of get people do that. And that might even show itself in maybe your business career. You know what I'm saying? Where you just have this natural gift that has been touched and moved and, you know, by the spirit to help you in that way. Dave, it's interesting, even in gifts of service and mercy, those things, people learn to do those things better and better over time. Yeah. So it's not like some gifts, like just teaching, after 20 years, maybe you'll be good at it. Um, and service, day one, you're just amazing. Yeah. There's a certain sense where you have natural, yeah. a supernatural predisposition towards something. Mm -hmm. but, but each of those gifts require a level of growth and knowledge and application. Um, that makes someone like the service, and service or mercy initially. Mm -hmm. People might be drawn to them. But 5, 10, 20 years down the line, they're going to be particularly capable at meeting people right where they're at in just the right way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like somebody with the gift of mercy, you kind of learn about the do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the one, after being a Christian for 40 years, the one thing that I tell people is that you should never say, that's not my gift. Mm -hmm. Until if there's a need, you try. Mm -hmm. And I think I think God shows you pretty clearly. Okay, that that's not working for you. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I am glad somebody said that to me the day I became a Christian. She said, "If there's a need, mm -hmm. you say yes." And yeah. and then and like Joshua said, you can develop in that area if you're needed. Yeah. And God will give you that. Yeah. That strength. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to add, like, the more, uh, it seems, the more willing people are in the body to to uh, mm -hmm. volunteer to serve, the more easily it identifiable it, it is to recognize those who have those particular gifts. And so, like, I've seen a lot of times people that they want to do music, and they're willing to do anything, so maybe they start out singing or playing, and, and as you have more and more people, you start to see, oh, th you're really good at, let's get you just singing. You're, you're really good at you mm -hmm. know. And so the more you're willing to serve in different areas or wherever there's a need, people can oftentimes more easily, and you can recognize, oh, yeah, this mm -hmm. is a really good fit for me. Yeah. Now, I think it's important to realize that the number one command is to love, 
and uh, the gifts <coughs> flow out of that. And so, uh, like, I am not the most uh, emotionally intuitive person. No. <laughs> right? But I'm, I'm often in these situations that are very, like, emotionally sensitive. Um, you know, people, because my first name is Pastor, and my second <laughs> name is Dave, I mean, people will, will come to me, you know, and so how do I <coughs> respond? And I love them, but it's like, so I've actually had to read books on helping hurting people and have had to study how that is done. Now, I wish I could say it was intuitive, but it's not. But I've had to kind of read enough and learn enough and watch enough so that I can be passable, you know, empathetically passable. You know what I'm saying? But that's still motivated out of love. I just don't have the natural skill, right? Where somebody with the gift of mercy, they're just a lot, it's a lot more intuitive. It's a lot easier for them to do that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you may think, you know, I'm not the best evangelist in the world. I can never share my faith, like, you know, let's say Naomi. But um, I can, you know, when the time arises, you know, the Lord will give me words to say. So how can I say it better? Does that make sense? So sometimes your circumstance, you know, what's really needed is not your spiritual gift, right? What's really needed is something else. And, you know, I think God's grace is sufficient to help you with that. You know, as the need arises, and it is a work of the spirit. I yeah, mean, it's not our personal effort. Yeah, it is it's calling faith. on. It is. It's a step of faith and calling on the work of the spirit in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can people be naturally inclined to two spiritual gifts, or is I think it so. like a one or one done? I, th I think <laughs> you can have multiple. I think you can have multiple spiritual gifts. Okay. Are there they gifts? overlap? Like mercy yeah. can mm -hmm. overlap. Yeah. Are the gifts that aren't um, that aren't listed like I really enjoy baking and cooking and I'm good at it, mm -hmm. but I know that that's not everybody's thing. So like, is that something that's just a talent that God gave me? Like He sprinkled more chef on me when I was born, <laughs> it, or is that just like how do you? Yeah, it'd be like singing is not a spiritual gift. Right. Right. That's not a spiritual gift. That's a natural gift. Now, can it be used to exhort people, right? Like the Keith Green had all kinds of exhortational songs, right? His gift would have been more exhortation. Can it be you know, used to um, comfort people or, or a way of just like serving the congregation, right? So your natural abilities can be fused with something else. But sometimes you just have a natural ability. It's just what it is and your spiritual gift is something else, like you I, I know uh, Jack Hughes is a good friend of mine. He's this gifted carpenter. I mean, the stuff he makes is just ridiculous. I, I, I feel insecure every time I walk into his house. <laughs> I mean, he gets his own oak, mills it, stuff like that. But, you know, that's just a hobby that he has. He's just really good at that. But his real gift is would be teaching. And, and sometimes, I mean, he might make somebody you know, a piece of furniture or whatever, but that's... That's just a natural talent that he has. And it's okay to have natural talents and to use them for whatever purpose God gave you. He actually made this Spurgeon replica office with even like the secret door for his recording studio. And I just kind of walked in and said, well, I was not jealous. jealous. My wife still thinks I'm awesome. I also think one, one spiritual gift can specifically lead into another. Um, so I'm going to use my mom as a great example because you, you mentioned her. Don't worry, nothing bad. Uh, so I think as missionaries and as a missionary kid, my experience has been um, as a missionary kid, I tend to connect with and attract relationships with people who are broken and hurt. Okay. And I've realized over the years, my mother does too. My I, I was wondering why my mom was so good at like informing me what was going on in the situation. And it's uh -huh. because she has the same gift. Mm -hmm. um, but I've seen so many times 
Um, I've seen her like connect with broken people and then use that in a very tactful way yeah. to evangelize. So not, not in a, you know, oh, that sucks, you're hurt, I'm sorry. Now there's Jesus. You know, like, like there's there's a pacing, yeah. Um, but like specifically the my, my in my opinion, my mother's gift of mercy also specifically leads into her being able to use her gift of evangelism. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. What he's saying, he's, he's seen me cry the ugly cry lots. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> We just had a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think here's another question too. I mean, why is it important that we appreciate all the gifts? Because they come from the same giver. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'll just say it's been my experience sometimes that certain people with certain gifts can kind of find them almost at odds with people with a different kind of gift. Um, for instance, somebody with the gift of exhortation. Okay? They take these young men, and I have a tendency you know, to do this, and just kind of like pistol with them. <laughs> Tell them you are failing here, 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 and here. I expect so much more out of you. I can't believe you're doing this. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So there, and there's kind of a method where I'm breaking people down to build them up. You know what I'm saying? But there's a sense where I might be hard on them, right? Exhorting them, you know, calling them to these high examples, right? Now, if somebody has a gift of mercy and they were to overhear that conversation, what would they think? Oh, you jerk. <laughs> yeah, you jerk, right? Now, let's say somebody with the mercy is comforting someone, you know, who's experiencing a broken relationship, and, you know, just has their heart broken because, you know, they had an immoral relationship, and, you know, they did the the right thing, they, you know, broke it off. You know what I'm saying? But comfort, comfort, comfort. Somebody with the exhortation, what are they going to think? Who's going to speak the truth? Yeah, you need to speak the truth in love. Uh, the truth, right? So sometimes you can have like people judging each other. Or let's say somebody's kind of geared towards teaching and stuff like that. Somebody with the gift of service will say, well, you're just being, you know, you're just hiding in your ivory tower. <laughs> right? Where somebody with the gift of teaching looks at those who are serving with a simple faith and says, you really need to deepen your understanding. Does that make sense? So there is a sense that you know, some of these gifts can be opposed to each other if you think that your gift is the greatest gift and the only important gift. Does that make sense? You guys ever felt that temptation? Right? I think you need to, again, it goes back to all of them being equally important for the health of the body. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that over time, I have developed that more and more just as, yeah. as I work with more people with yeah. very different gifts than me. And you understand, oh, we need them. I need them as much as they need me. Yeah. And God needs all of us in the body. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I just think having a really high level of appreciation for gifts that are not your own. Yeah, that's one way of kind of bringing the body together. Not not judging people because they might approach things differently. Now just so you know, when I do beat people up, I do. I do, build, I break them down to build them up. Right, some of you guys have been recipients of that. You're better for it, right? But yeah, that is something like, or somebody's like doing really exhortational preaching, you know, who, you know, let's say he's preaching against lust, and he says, you know, before we send you to hell, we're gonna pistol whip you, and you're gonna wish that you never, you know? But part of that is just that, you know, the, you know, the coming down hard on the people that really need a kick in the pants, right? That's a form of exhortation. Um, but there's also merciful preaching. And often, you know, people that get the exhortation, they judge the merciful preachers, right? You know, gentle and lowly is just way too soft. You know, they're just not, you know, they kind of find some faults there. But I think just having a robust understanding that there's different ministry gifts or Different gifts are needed at different times. Yeah, and ultimately the, the Holy Spirit will help sort that out. I, 
I just think it's fascinating that, that in First Corinthians, like you do have like twelve, you have the spiritual gifts, mm-hmm. and then later on in twelve, it's the reminder that we're all one body. Wow, we yeah. all need each other, and then thirteen is is love. Yeah, um, and I think that. And then he goes back to organizing the gifts. Right. Another element in First Corinthians 12 through 14 is that they desired specific gifts more than others. They valued certain gifts more than others. Mm-hmm. So they all wanted to have the, the, the sign gifts or whatever. Uh-huh. And I think a challenge that we need to think through today as well is, do we value certain gifts more than others? Mm-hmm. Are, so, and, and by doing so, do we dishonor other gifts? So I think certain churches, certain kinds of churches will value certain kinds of gifts, and they tend to diminish others. So even as with a lot of college students, as you figure out how the Lord wants you to serve, you know, being a pastor teacher, for example, is a wonderful gift to the church. Yep. But it's not the primary gift. It's not the best thing ever. Uh, the best no, thing ever well, is well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing ever is you serving in line of how God's created you to serve to the fullest. Mm-hmm. In that sense, we don't dishonor people with gift of service, for example. That's what ha- happens in some of our circles, like teachings here and services down here. When really they're hand in hand for the building of the body of Christ for the glory of God. I think that's one of the primary messages of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 mm-hmm. is that equal value. Yeah. And I think I've known people who might come for the teaching and then really get pulled in for, let's say, the service. Or there's some people who they don't really care about my teaching. It's too long, too technical, or, or whatever. But they just really love the body life here. Right, and really love the relationships because of these other gifts, and then eventually they grow to, to love it. Right, so I think the entry point for our church and the growth of our church it's sometimes it's one more than the other. You know, that's kind of been my experience with it. I think it yeah. speaks. Okay, Scott, then you. I was just gonna tack, just tack on how um, you know viewing them as different value can it can be guilty of, of esteeming them too too much and, mm-hmm. and kind of neglecting, but also um, when people are um, not for sure where they fit in, you know, First Corinthians, it really addresses that idea that we can't say, uh, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, you know? And so there's this idea that every one of us is responsible for knowing mm-hmm. that, I am ne- that I have a necessary mm-hmm. gift to yep. contribute to the body. Mm-hmm. And so I can't sit back and, oh, they've got it, I don't uh-huh. have this gift. And so both kind of can I, and I, along with that, I think it speaks to the importance, we go back to community, that if you are connected and a part mm-hmm. of the community, that's how I learned what my gifts were, yeah. was by connecting, and I learned it from yeah. other women, and just being in fellowship, and yeah. just, if, if you are disconnected, you are not going to, number one, use your gift or find it, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, and our church is big enough where if it was all about, Pastor, we need you to share the gospel here. You need to visit this person here. You need to call upon this person. You know what I'm saying? If, if people's ministry was telling me what to do, <laughs> right, that's not a good arrangement. You know, but a lot of churches operate that way, right? Where we pay the pastor to do what we don't want to do. Where I'm just one gifted person among many. And everybody needs to pull their weight and be a part of it. And I think all of you have a spiritual gift, but you're also a gift, right? You're a gift to this body. And, you know, 20-some years ago, do you remember you spoke at our college retreat in California, and you basically confronted college students who weren't using their gifts because you're depriving? Do you remember this at all? I, I think your words were, how dare you? <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was making us, and I, I'm, well, not me, because I was using my gift. I've gotten softer listening. Yeah, so that was a, um, yeah, so that, but that is true. I mean, and so that's one thing, you know, I'm going to talk to this side of the room here. Is just make it, a, make it a point, even if you go away to college. You know, be active in serving in some way. It ties you in. It makes you more invested in the group, and the group benefits. I mean, that's where the Lord has you. Okay, any questions about that? Yeah. Um, are we born with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or is it something that we are equipped with? Uh, very good question. I mean, all, ultimately, when you're born again is when you get the spiritual gift. But the Lord often uses some of your natural talents 
um, like I was on the debate team. I did print. I mean, did a, I did a bunch of you know, speaking and stuff before I became a Christian. And I would be lying if I said that it had no impact on how I preach and teach or organize my sermons. So I think there's a place for uh, your prior, you know, life history to kind of prepare you for that moment. The example I would be, I'd use would be Paul. Like Paul was a scribe, he was a Pharisee, he was, he was very educated. And when he became a Christian, he was able to draw upon all of his past knowledge that he acquired as a non-Christian to really serve the body well. Does that make sense? But then you have somebody like Peter, who was not learned. And when he became a Christian, I mean, he really got a fresh start and was able to you know, still rise and be a great thinker, the, you know, writing some powerful letters and giving great sermons. Um, so your past doesn't limit you, but it can, you know, be used to help you in the future. But that's a really good question. Are there people who can use spiritual gifts even if they're not believers? I think I'm referencing specifically, is it Simeon or Simon um, in Acts? My memory's a bit shaky, but mm-hmm. he was doing, like, he was this weird magician. Mm-hmm. He got all buddy-buddy with the, with yeah. the uh, apostles and was doing, he was doing miracles too, I believe. Or was he just watching them do miracles? I think it's possible, um, like, Balaam would be the better example. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who is not a believer who was actually giving prophecy from the Lord. Uh, it's possible for the spirit to use, I mean, to speak through a donkey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's possible for the spirit to speak through an, an unbeliever, you know, for a moment. Uh, now, he didn't necessarily have the benefit of the other ministries where he was sealed and powered and, and everything. So it is possible. It's highly unlikely. Uh, usually somebody's immoral life uh, would disqualify the message that comes from their mouth. Uh, but there have been some rare occasions where that has taken place. So theoretically, could Benny Hinn oversee a real healing, and could that be of the spirit? Theoretically, that is the case, but that's very different from having the gift of healing. Where somebody's given the spiritual ability to always do that, and that's his permanent spiritual gift. It might be more of an, an act of mercy on that person than a certification of that per, of the person you over, oversaw. How do we determine which ones uh, which of the spiritual gifts are still in play? So I'm okay. mention prophecy, but like, how do we, how do we determine which ones are still in play, which okay. ones are no longer needed, etc. Okay. Well, what a great transition. For <laughs> <laughs> are the sign gifts for today? And I'll just tell you. Um, I mean, there's there's a couple of um, positions here. You have continuationist and cessationist. Uh, cessationists would say that none of the sign gifts are for today. Now I want to give you some qualifications. That does not mean, like I would put myself in the cessationist category, but I do believe it is possible for a miracle to take place uh, as long as it's non-revelatory. So I think there could be a healing, there could be some other form of a miracle. I think that's within the realm of possibility. But I would not say that the gift of miracles or the gift of healings is in play. And part of it is because I would say, you know, revelation has ceased and those gifts supported that. Uh, Then you'd have continuationists and there's a spectrum there. You'd have somebody who'd be open but cautious who'd say there's no reason for us to think that the sign gifts have ceased. But what I see right now in the charismatic movement is not it, right? Josh, that's where you would be, right? And then there'd be, you know, like, healing conference, you know, like somebody like Benny Hinn, who would say, what you see the disciples do, we're able to do, and that should be the expectation of every every Christian, okay? So uh, I'm going to just, you know, lay my cards out on the table. I am a cessationist, um, and the major reason why is related to my understanding of, of prophecy and revelation and my conviction that the canon is closed, okay? So I'm giving you my conclusion before I prove it. So you kind of see how everything kind of builds to it. And so 
You know, one of the reasons why the, the sign gifts, you know, the big driving theology behind it, right? And this is a, a compelling argument. You read in Acts that people are speaking in tongues, right? You see healings happening in Acts. You see miracles happening in Acts. Shouldn't we expect what happened in Acts to continue today, right? I mean, and so that's the most, the most basic um, most basic argument, and, and it's a good one. And so to really reckon with that, I think you have to look at, um, you know, what is the purpose of miracles? What were those miracles supposed to accomplish? And I think when you understand Acts, Acts is really a transitional book, okay, where there's a transition from the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of the apostles, and what a and I would say from the ministry of the apostles to the next generation, right? So does that next, like both cessationists and continuationists would say that yes, during Acts, they did have miracles. <coughs> um, you know, all of those sign gifts were for that transitional period. The cessationists would say that transitional period is over, okay? And then we would say that there's gonna be another transitional period, or I'd say during the Great Tribulation, like speaking, you know, prophecy, healings, all that stuff is going to actually come back at that point in time. You know, and that will precede the great, you know, <coughs> that will be closer to the great tribulation and the, and the day of the Lord and his return. But in the intermediate time, is there, are there sign gifts um, during what we have right now? Should they be expected? Okay, so kind of building my case, I think it's important to look at what is the purpose of miracles? Right? There, there have been different periods in ancient Israel, um, namely the, before the Exodus and during the apostasy of the Northern Kingdom, uh, where there is a high concentration <coughs> of miracles. Okay? Now, there's other miracles kind of sprinkled here and there, like Daniel saw some miracles or some other miracles that you see, but you really have two primary concentrations of miracles. And the third heavily concentrated time of miracles was happening during Jesus' ministry. I mean, and when you look at how many miracles he was doing, I mean, it was like hundreds a day. Um, it, was, it was intense. But the miracles had a purpose, okay? Somebody want to read Matthew 11, 2 through 6? Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Okay, so according to this passage, what was the purpose of miracles? To prove that he was the Messiah. Yeah, so are you the Messiah? How does he answer that question? He points to all the miracles that he did. Now, why is it significant that he's quoting from the Old Testament? Why is it significant that he's quoting? Yeah, why is it significant that he quotes from the Old Testament? Because it's about him. He's yeah. the culmination of everything promised in the mm -hmm. Old Testament. He yeah. is the purpose. Yeah, so in the Old Testament, there are specific prophecies about a future day, a future era, where there will be healing and restoration. Okay, so this is where there's kind of this promised kingdom, you know, where the lion will not lie down with the lamb, right? The snake will play with the cobra. Like the curse of sin and that adversarial relationship that humans have with nature, um, will be, you know, put to, put to rest. And so part of what Jesus is doing is he's announcing the kingdom. He's kind of giving a preview of this is what life is going to be like when I come back, right? So when you look at turning the water into wine, okay, that was a display of his power, but he could have turned the water into mud, or let's say turned the water into tar, right? But, what, but why did he choose wine? 
Because it was a wedding. <coughs> it was a wedding, right? And so it's a time that is good. And it kind of shows you that when Messiah comes, it'll be a time of celebration, right? I mean, you could have called down fire from heaven and just destroyed people, but he's decided to heal people, right? Even that had a message that when the Messiah comes, there's going to be healing, there'll be restoration. It's kind of a, it's a preview of what's going to happen in the future uh, that would be present, theoretically, if the Jews would have accepted him as their Messiah at that point, right? That's part of this future promise. Then you have Acts 2.22. Abel, want to read that for me? Yep. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves. Okay. So according to Peter, what was the purpose of miracles? Notice how attested to you by God with. So the miracles, all of those were meant to attest to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? And those works, they authenticate his ministry. Then you have 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs, wonders, and miracles. Right? So the signs of a true apostle are listed as what? Three of them. Yeah. And why did God give the apostles to do the ability to work miracles? Well, according to Acts 1 8, it was because they were going to be his witnesses. Right? So there's a sense where you know, these apostles were, were shown to have a continuity with the ministry of Jesus by doing the same miracles that he did. Okay? So the question is do the apostles' successors? Are they given the same continuity as well to do the same signs, works, wonders that they did? Is that is that the expectation of the apostles um, for us, and should we expect that kind of continuity today? Okay. So we're going to go ahead and just hold it there. I'll do a little bit of review, but we'll finish up this discussion next week. All right. Well, Father, we do thank you for just your Holy Spirit and the gifts you've given everyone in this room, and I pray that we will find opportunities to, to use it to bless others. In Christ's name, amen.